Good afternoon, everybody. It is June 12th at 5.06 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we are back after a very long break, uh, the longest intermission on podcasting history, for the 15th episode of the Jack's Facts podcast. Uh, I am here with the wonderful Dr. Jake Vigel, and we are going to discuss uh, his background as a medical professional, uh, a couple of things related to like lifestyle choices regarding diet, exercise, uh, training, recovery, things of that nature. Uh, Dr. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being on. It's, uh, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's like, I'm just, I always just feel like I'm kind of like some 22 year old kid. So anytime I get to interview somebody with like, I, that's, I don't know, like a medical professional. I spoke to a lawyer previously. The audio didn't really work out on that, but you know, just kind of people of like, uh, uh, what I consider to be a pretty high caliber. It's always amazing for me as well. So, so yeah. Um, I guess we'll start with uh, just kind of like what you do as a medical professional, your background, what you've done, how you got there, just kind of what you got going on. Yeah, thank you. So I, I'm a sports medicine physician, and we it's a it's a newer specialty actually. It's probably been around for, for 30 years, and started in the 80s with just a few guys who wanted to do their own thing, and then it eventually became a bona fide specialty. It's not a surgical specialty, so I'm different than an orthopedist, although I do see a lot of similar things that orthopedists will see. I just don't go to the operating room and fix things that are, that are broken that need to be fixed. Right. So, so my training was, was, you know, I went to medical school, and then I did a family medicine residency, and then from there I did a fellowship, and it was a sports medicine fellowship, and then it was in New England, so I ended up staying out east coast for a few years I, I practiced in ithaca new york for about five years it was really fun i was a team physician for cornell ithaca college Cortland state and suny Cortland, little small little community college there in, in Cortland, and a bunch of high schools so i was really busy we saw a lot of athletes of all levels and it was a lot of fun i'm originally from utah so i ended up moving back to utah about five years ago. Nice. Now, um, as far as when you were working um, at the universities and the schools and community colleges and so forth, was that like kind of one at a time? You would go from one to the next, or was that simultaneous between them? Or it was kind of it was yeah, it was simultaneous. You know, so what we had it was we had a clinic in town. It was a, run by the hospital, the local hospital, and I would see just recreational everyday people in that clinic. Then a couple days or half days a week, I'd go to the Ithaca College Student Clinic. And then a couple half days, I'd go to the Cornell Student Clinic. And then I'd go to Portland State and to their training room and see athletes as they're just coming into the training room. So a, a week, one week, I would be at several different colleges and, and clinics. And it was a lot of fun. Every day was a little bit different. And so it was kind of all at the same time. Yeah. Sounds busy, man. It sounds like a seven-day-a-week job. It was busy. And, you know, and we also covered... The games so this was sideline coverage for hockey lacrosse and, and football so it was busy and, and it was a lot of fun so it doesn't really seem like work to hang out on the sideline with a bunch of college kids but it, it adds up after after time and and it's nice right now i'm only taking care of a high school and i help with the marathon and then i travel sometimes so my my schedule is much lighter and it's and it's a good time for me because my kids are getting older and i get to spend more time with them Sure. So what what kind of hours were you working then and like kind of what kind of hours are you working now? So now I work basically four days a week. Oh, wow. It's really nice. 
eight to five, basically, and then I'll have a football game to cover when it's football season, and uh, and occasionally I'll travel with the U.S. figure skating team. When I'm traveling with them, it's I'm basically on call the entire time, and it's really busy. But I get to go to some pretty fun places, so it's it's fun. Yeah, I was about to say. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you kind of travel all over the world. How many like how many countries have you been to? And, so, doing, and how long have you been with the figure skating team? How did you? Been, and, yeah, yeah. Go ahead with that first. About, about five years now, and um, so they sent me to Berlin. That was my first assignment. The second one was Croatia in Zagreb. Then I went to Yokohama, Japan, and then uh, Gdansk in Poland, and then most recently I was in Salzburg, Austria. So wow. I'm looking so really forward kinda... to looking forward to my next assignment. I think I'm 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 hoping for another Eastern European country because those are those are fun. Those so, are what? Really fun? fun? Oh yeah. Yeah, I bet. So how how long have you been with the uh, figure skating team in total? And how yeah. did you kind of get started with that? That's been five seasons. Um, so, is that, got, like, so is that about five into, years in time? Yeah, like, how years. long does the season last? Okay. Yeah, so, and I go to, a, a, I get an assignment every season. We have, we have, there's probably 150 different assignments, and we have a lot of docs on the pool. So, so they, so we get an, usually one, maybe two assignments a year. I don't have enough time to really take for two assignments a year, given that I only work four days a week. So I do I do one assignment per season, and it's been great. I've been doing it for five years now, and uh, it's enjoyable. It can be really busy. You know, I get to go somewhere, but mostly what I get to see is the hotel room and the ice rink. So, oh, um, yeah. So, but it's still an experience to get away. For sure. Do you get, like, any free time when you're out there, or is it kind of just, like, Either you're at the ice rink working because somebody like messed up their ankle or something while they were skating, or you're at the hotel room just kind of rocking back and forth, staring at your phone, waiting for the <laughs> next call about the next figure skater whose ankle you need to go check out. Seriously, yeah. So it's I usually get about two or three hours where I have like a window where I'm like, okay, I don't have anything to do right now, and I try to get somewhere and see something. Uh, so when my last trip was in Salzburg, and my and my wife came along which was nice because she would kind of bring me food and prepare me a little bit. But uh, it was nice. We got So we had an evening together the time we were there. The rest of the time she was traveling, she went to Vienna one day and was traveling all around Austria while I was working. So she didn't mind. But it's it's a busy week. All expenses paid trip to Austria, just kind of hanging out, you know? Her husband's doing all the work. She just gets to kind of go (laughs) meander the streets, check out all the sites. But it wasn't too bad. All right. Well, um, I, I don't really know what else to ask about. Um, like, I don't know. I don't know much about figure skating. Um, medical professional. God, you can tell I haven't recorded a podcast in a long time. It's been too long. I'm getting rusty. Um, I don't know. I guess let's just jump into some uh, health and fitness then, since I'm blanking and I don't want some dead air time. Uh, health and fitness. What? Um, I don't know. I guess <clears throat> what is the training schedule like for these professional athletes athletes that you work with i mean are they like in the gym kind of like all day every day oh they are yeah i mean they it's their it's what they do i mean it's like we you know right. we have our job and that's their job so yeah i guess yeah everything guess so. is kind of mapped out for them sleep what they eat and how many hours they're doing right and 
figure skating, they have a certain number of hours on the ice. They actually have a certain number of hours off the ice. They have warm-ups that are probably 45 minutes long before they're on the ice. And, and uh, they are practicing all the time. It really is. And, and if you don't love it, you're going to burn out on it. Yeah, I was just about to say, it sounds like you have to like really be dedicated to it. Otherwise, it'll feel like a total lack of autonomy and decision-making. Like if you're, you know, your sleep, your food, your exercise, kind of like your, your whole life sounds like it's kind of planned out for you. I mean, obviously, you can have like your hobbies, what you do in your own free time. But it sounds like that's, you know, kind of minimal compared to what you're doing while you're training, sleeping, eating, warming up, you know, resting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's, it's busy for those guys. And, you know, I get, I get experienced that a little bit, but the majority of the time I'm treating and seeing people like you and me who just want to have, just want to be healthy and they want to live an active lifestyle. For and, sure. So uh, sometimes get hurt doing so. Right. So do you kind of like just evaluate injuries or when people come in, do you also help them kind of like figure out workout plans and like diets and so forth? Like people who would like to move towards living that healthy lifestyle. The majority come in with some sort of pain or they can't do something that they want to do because, because their body won't let them. And I usually will take an opportunity there to kind of introduce a healthy lifestyle. If we, if we go, if they want it and most people do want it. You know, right. in, in reality, most doctors just don't have the time to do that. It's and it sounds sad, but you know, you you have multiple medical problems, and the doctor has like 15 minutes. So you go to see your doctor, and he has all these check things that he really needs to address that are important. And the last, you know, then the last thing he tries to do is, yeah, you need to diet and exercise. It's like, okay, thanks. How do I do that? So I have I'm a little bit lucky, and then I get a little bit more time in talking about that. If someone comes in with an injury, I, I certainly will write up an, ex, an exercise or training plan to help them get out of it. Because right. usually it's that exercise that has caused their injury. Right. So we want to get their injury better, and then we want to get them back to their sport, which is you know, that's the goal of my of every day. That's what I yeah, do. It's kind of the whole point of sports medicine. Um, regarding what you said uh, in the like, kind of like the whole 15-minute appointment thing, um, I don't know if it's like just me, you know, getting older and like gaining more pattern recognition or whatever it is, but it seems like like medical appointments, like when you're visiting a doctor, it has changed in that like it's a lot more like they just ask you things and kind of like run through a checklist and kind of get you in and get you out. Whereas when I was younger, I don't know, I felt like it was kind of like a more like, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, how are you feeling? It was like a little bit more drawn out and conversational, I guess. Am I am I onto something there or is like well, has, has something changed recently in the past couple of years or what? And it depends on how your, your, your practice is run. So a lot of practices are run by kind of a uh, revenue unit like right. or a – you get paid based on how many people you see. Okay. So, of course, you're going to see as many people as you can. Right. And especially if you're in primary care because they usually get less per, per patient, whereas somebody in a certain specialty, they can get – they will get paid a little bit more per patient. Even they're doing, even though they're doing the exact same thing, right? It's like the real true getting paid less for doing the same thing that, that we hear a lot about other things. Yeah. But this is actually a legit specialty-based thing, as opposed to another base, based on something else. So I, I can, re- I can have enough time to get into some details, and I have on my, you know, you come in and you have to fill out your little questionnaire to give to the doctor that answers a lot of kind of upfront questions, and I have on there. Do you want to talk about exercise? Do you want to talk about some lifestyle medicine? So, and, and, you know, 
more than more often than not, 90% of the time, they're going to check yes on that. Right. Because they don't get it. And, uh, and no, there's not I mean, very many people that discuss lifestyle medicine. There's a new specialty out mm-hmm. and a new college, you know, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. They have a, a certification, but it doesn't really pay as well as other specialties. Now, so no, no, there's no doctors going into it. You go to med school, you have a lot of debt. You know, this is a oh yeah, yeah, you got to get your money for sure. You you want to go into dermatology and make a million dollars a year as opposed to lifestyle medicine and make 150. Dermatologist, it's like a skin doctor more or yeah. less, right? Yeah, you can, you can make a million dollars a year. Oh yeah, it could. Yeah. Wow. Um, now what was I just about to say? Okay, here we go. Uh, lifestyle medicine. So what is that? Is that like, uh, like kind of like how you live your life, like as far as diet and exercise and so forth go? Yeah, it basically is. It's 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 take keeping yourself healthy. It's the type of medicine that that focuses on the science behind diet, the science behind exercise. We it's a part of something called physical activity is a vital sign. So you know you go to the doctor, and you get a blood pressure, you get your temperature, you get your heart rate, your respiratory rate. And we've started to make physical activity a part of that vital sign. So, yeah, your heart rate's good. Your blood pressure's good. How active are you? Do you exercise an hour per week? Do you exercise five hours a week? And we kind of generate a little, okay, your your vital signs are good, but this vital sign, this physical activity vital sign is is pretty low. So that kind of, we've added that as part of like a vital sign, even though it's not a physical measurement. It's just the report. But it kind of opens up the patient's understanding of getting active. And this isn't probably as important for, you know, people like you and me who are active a lot. But, you know, I, people come in, they're obese, they, they struggle with getting out, and, and, and they don't want to get out. It's the last thing they want to do. It's sedentary lifestyle. Sure. So, so that's, that's a part of, of, of lifestyle medicine. And, you, and if you're anywhere, you know, if you're on Twitter, like I, I know you are, and you hear about all the different diets tribes yeah oh man that's a good word right so yeah that's it's, it's that's definitely the way to put it diet tribes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know and, and people are very focused on my way is the best and 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 it's and it's really interesting the american college of lifestyle medicine has actually a, a high proportion of a kind of a vegan outlook so it's a little bit of the yeah. opposite of, of kind of other spheres of twitter where the, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine promotes plant-based, and I think many of the docs in there are, are go so far as, as, as veganism, and, and I think that's kind of interesting. And then there's other guys on, on Twitter who are, they don't eat any vegetables, and they have nothing but steaks, and, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's one, end, one extreme to the other. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm definitely happiest with my, uh, you know, my happy little medium there, of m- mixing up both meat and vegetables and fruits and so forth. That way, you know, I'm sure I'm getting all the protein and vitamin B12 and so forth that I need from meats, as well as all the micronutrients and vitamins and so forth from vegetables. It seems like you know, I, I don't know, with like veganism or the carnivore diet, you'll have like one or the other. Like you'll have tons of nutrients, not so much B12, not so yeah. much protein. I mean, you can't get protein, I guess, from like. Uh, I don't know what do they use for their majority of like protein consumption, like soy, right? They do a lot of soy. They use a lot of nuts, which is actually probably more fat. Oh yeah, nuts. So, Definitely a lot of fat. Yeah. But they and 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 you know seeds, seed stuff, and uh, 
I actually don't really know exactly what they do to get all their protein because it just seems so restrictive. I mean, and, look at your and, average vegan. They're not necessarily uh, yeah. bodybuilders. They're not. And, and it's interesting because I, in my line of work, I, I see a lot of in, people who are kind of favored towards the endurance aspects of sports who, who they, can, they can get to a high level on a vegan diet. But if you're lifting and you're, you're going to be a competitive lifter, then I just don't think veganism is going to work at all. I don't right. think you'll be able to get enough calories and enough protein and enough of the, of the nutrition you need to really be an effective power lifter. And I've never, not that I've ever seen one, but I, it, it would be an odd thing to see. But I have seen people be successful with a vegan diet. Now, the people who, I, who I'm talking about are typically people who they made it to that level and then they decided to try out veganism. So, so my, my comment isn't necessarily true because they've been able to maintain that elite status on a vegan diet, but I'm not sure if they could have gotten there on a vegan diet or not, because I don't think that there's any literature that supports that. And uh, as far as the, the climb up, as opposed to the maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, right. it takes a lot of years to get to be a professional. Oh yeah. There have been a, there have been a few cyclists that I'm aware of that are vegan. I don't know of any endurance athletes who are strictly keto either. And I think that's kind of interesting. It, mm. There are a lot, there's a lot of theory that, that, you know, being an endurance athlete and keto can go hand in hand fairly well, meaning you're just kind of burning your fat for energy right. and you just plod along in this kind of steady pace. Right. But the high level endurance athletes, I mean, the very high level, they're more like Ferraris than diesels. And, and what I mean is they're, they're, when they're going, they're just going fast and it's, you know, the endurance athletes that you hear about doing marathons or cyclists, they, an average guy can't keep up with them for 15 minutes. And that's just their, they're just cruising along. That's like like the warm up for their warm up. Yeah. When they really move, they're going, they're averaging a high pace, tons of wattage and they're just burning, burning you know they're like ferraris and that's kind of a better way to describe it and i'm not sure and i don't think there's anything out there i'd love to see a study on it i think there are a few in the works that that has an endurance athlete at that level being strictly keto because those carbs are really good to just burn the ferrari type engine you you, that fuel comes in there and you burn it off and you're always you know these endurance athletes who are especially those who are carb heavy they're always cranking out they're always you know putting the goo in they're always eating something oh yeah for me i i mix it up a little bit i don't i'm not strictly keto but i'll i'll do some intermittent fasting right and i'll do some other things to help help my fat metabolism my fatty metabolism work well so i'll go for a bike ride for several hours and i'll have to eat as much whereas a lot of my buddies are they're pulling out their their you know, their cliff bars and their sugar and they're eating when I'm not feeling like I need to. That being said, I'm not at the level of these professionals are who, who are going so much more at a higher pace. I, you know, I can ride with them on, the, on their work, on their recovery days. But right. Could I keep up with them for a six hour ride for three, for three weeks, right? These guys, and they go fast. So, yeah. What I've always been curious about, uh, sorry to interrupt, but what I've always been curious about regarding like these dietary differences between like, you know, keto, keto diet, uh, the carnivore diet, the vegan diet and so forth is how much 
um, how is the effectiveness related to the individual and how do you kind of like separate those? Because, you know, for some people, keto seems to work incredibly well. Uh, like, you know, they feel very energized and I have to eat as much like they can like lose the weight they need or, you know, they could just do everything they needed to the way they wanted to with zero problems. Um, seems like the same thing. You know, I'm not a fan of a vegan diet just because I never feel like I'm satiated. I, I ate vegan for like a month one time because I watched a documentary when I was 16 and I was like, oh, my God, being vegans like the holy grail of diet. And then I realized <laughs> that it's kind of just a propaganda film. And I was like, OK, well, this doesn't work for me at all. I need to eat some steak. Um, yeah. And then for the carnivore people, I I just couldn't imagine eating nothing but steaks over and over and over and over and over with nothing else. Um, but like I said, for each one, you know, there seems to be people within them that like it doesn't work for. They're like, you know, I tried it. It wrecked my system. You know, like I ate vegan. I was tired all the time. I wasn't satiated. Like it just it wasn't working for me. Same thing with carnivore. Like, you know, I had my cholesterol levels went through the roof, this, that and the other. Um I guess, you know, the keto diet can have some pretty negative repercussions for some people as well that I can't exactly recall off the top of my head. But I wonder if there's like some kind of genetic variance in individuals that could be figured out to like, you know, kind of determine which diet would work, would work best for them or what, like, you know, just kind of what the deal is for that. And I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I, yeah, I have some thoughts. We don't have any data as far as I know. There may be something out there, but we do know that different, you know, race, gender, and other biological factors are going to contribute to your, to your medical care, first of all. We right. know very well, and it's very well documented, that certain medications for blood pressure, well, you don't want to use those first off for African Americans when you would use them in Caucasian because they right. can cause an issue. So I feel very, I could very comfortably say that there is going to be some genetic and biological variance regarding which diet is going to work. For you. Right. I don't think we actually know if it's the, we don't know what it is yet, but I do think that that's the case. I, I've never tried veganism and I did try keep the keto diet and I did not feel satiated and I always felt hungry and I actually didn't really lose weight. And I, that was my goal was to lose weight. Now, were you and like body, super, I mean, you know, you're, you're a pretty sharp guy and I'm sure, you know, it's exactly what you're talking about being that you're a medical science where you know a lot about diet, but like, were you super strict with it in terms of like, you know, zero to like maybe 10 grams of carbon take a day like i know it's supposed to be like super minimal otherwise it really starts to mess with the whole process right yeah yeah i was fairly strict um probably 50 try to give it to 50 grams of carbs because I, I drink 15 as in one five or 50, 50 as in five zero five zero okay so and that was because of the lactose i had with my milk right because i drink milk um Whole milk so, you know, I never really, I don't think it's, I, I, in this, it, you can make it that low, but I just didn't really, I guess I didn't try that hard. Mm -hmm. And I ate like they say you should. Maybe I should have tracked my calories, but I like, just eat until you're full. And I just didn't really get full. Right. I could, I could eat steak all night long and not get full. It's great. <laughs> but, yeah. but it didn't really, didn't work as well for me. Um, and with my, now that I did this in the wintertime, now that the summer is on and I'm on my bike a lot more, I like to be able to have some pasta and some bread. Oh, yeah. It, it tastes delicious. But, but that was for me, and I don't think it worked. And I've seen other people, and I've actually a few people on Twitter have said that they prefer a little the high-carb, low-fat, mm -hmm. and they, other people prefer the low 
or high fat, or I, I may have said this same thing twice, I don't know, but I think that the, the downfall of what has made America so obese is the combination of high carb, high fat. Because when you know when you get when you eat something that's low carb, high fat, you can get kind of tired of it. Right. Yeah, because it's very like rich and kind of like satiates yeah. your palate. And you're like, okay, you're like that's that's enough. Yeah. You may not be super full, but you're just kind of done with eating that. And the same thing for the other type of diet. If it's you know. But if you have something that is high fat and high carb, you can just eat that. I mean, you take a, take a potato chip, which oh, has man. You put a bag of salt and vinegar chips in front of me, I'm slamming that whole bag down yeah, without a break. Yeah, you eat one and, you, and it just stimulates you to eat more. But if you had like a baked, you know, like the baked chips. Yeah. Have you had that? You, you I have. Those are them. super good too, but you're, you're totally right. Yeah, whenever I eat those, I can eat like, you know, like a bowl, I guess like a small bowl and be like, all right, like that was, that was a good yeah. snack. Or if you eat, a, you can't really eat a spoonful of sugar. You can't just eat sugar plain. But if you, and you can't really drink cream by itself. But, right. but if you add some cream, cream and sugar, sugar in your it, coffee, yeah. And it's like, okay, I can drink this, and it's you know that's what ice cream is, really. Right. Cream and sugar, and you can. But to have ice cream without the sweetness, it would taste gross. For sure. You'd be done. So that, but you can have. You, know, I think something happens to your brain where those that gets shut off and you just eat and you eat and you eat and that's the majority of the food that's in the stores is that processed high carb and high fat stuff they were just eating as a country like crazy and getting bigger and bigger right so i think i think that's the cause of our obesity problem i'm not gonna if some if keto works for somebody I just, i'm not gonna go on and try to tell them that they're you know they should eat more of something else and the same thing goes for more of a plant-based diet. The majority of the literature that's out there supports a kind of a plant-based diet and eat, in, and eat meat kind of sparingly. And uh, I probably don't follow that to the T. I, I eat meat more than sparingly. I so. definitely eat meat more than sparingly as well. But that's just because I'm trying to trying to pack on a couple of pounds here. I'm tired, tired of being built like a Slim Jim. <laughs> so that's what I'm working on. Eat as much as you can, then. Oh man, I, uh, I just I shove food in my face, and it just—I mean, I think I've I've started drinking like these mass gainer shakes and whatnot now, and I think I've gained maybe like, I don't know, five pounds. But granted, like you know, I'll do like four days where I'm like drinking them every day, like working out and whatnot, and then I'll maybe take like three days off where I just, you know, I'm like, God, like I've just eaten so much the past couple. I get like tired of eating. Like it's not even that I'm not that hungry. It's just like I'm just so tired of having to consume so much. So that probably works to my detriment, and I need to kind of stay on top of it a little bit more. But... <laughs> I wish I could do that. I was 22 once as well. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All of my family keeps telling me, it's like, oh, you better watch out. Like, you're going to get fat when you're older. And I'm like, ah, I don't know about that because I eat so much now. But then again, you know, they also used to say, like, oh, when I was your age, I could eat a whole pizza as well. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe they're on to something a little bit. But they're also pretty sedentary, so. I plan on staying relatively active. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it as well. Yeah, it does. I wouldn't stop your activity to try to gain weight, though. That's for sure. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, <laughs> definitely work out at the same time. Otherwise, you yeah. should get fat. Pack on the pounds so I make them lean. Uh, yeah, so what was I? I had something else that was like on the tip of my tongue. Um, I guess 
I think a lot of what I, okay here we go what I was gonna say is I think related to uh, like the obesity epidemic that we have going on now which is I think it's like what two out of three Americans that are qualified as obese Something like that yeah I think it's around I think it's thirty percent oh it's only okay so then I was highballing it two out of three I don't think it's I mean that's obese overweight it's probably sixty seventy okay that's so based on BMI. And right. Yeah. You know, BMI. Argument, yeah. We know that BMI. like there's there's it, it can kind of be an accurate measurement, but there's also flaws with it. Like, you know, um, you know, somebody who's like super jack, like a bodybuilder could be like 190 pounds at like five foot eight or whatever. And they'll be qualified as obese, even though it's all lean body mass. They're not actually obese, but due to their body mass index, that's what they're considered. Yeah. I think I think most of your listeners understand the nuance of, of BMI when it's accurate and if the thing is for the majority of americans it is an accurate assessment of, right. of weight so well i've yeah. always gone by uh i've always gone by the oldest assessment in the book the old eyeballs there it's true <laughs> kind of just look at somebody and be like oh yeah you're fat and that has been studied actually <laughs> they've actually compared uh like skin caliper method and bmi and just a doctor looking at somebody <laughs> and it's like yeah you can look at somebody you can tell so for sure yeah and, and that so it's kind of funny we have all these special tests but really just look in the mirror right yeah, just, <laughs> just just be honest with yourself come on if you look at it and you're like oh this is too much then it's probably too much i mean you know, great i guess there are some exceptions like people with eating disorders and so forth where it's like please you know eat a little bit more and don't yeah, put yeah. up afterwards but on the whole those people are excluded yeah so. um and going back to what I was going to say before, uh, I think a lot of that is also related to just like the super processed or refined foods that we have, like, you know, in stores because, you know, they're able to stay on shelves for longer. Like you just bag them up, throw them in a can or whatever, and they'll stay good for uh, months, years, whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, uh, that's what is bought in, in say, you know, I, I did my medical school in Milwaukee mm-hmm. and, I spent some time in some clinics in the inner city and driving around the inner city of Milwaukee. There's no grocery stores anywhere. And it's like, where do they go shopping? And they just go to these, these kids are always, they always have a bag of chips and a soda. Yeah. And, and it's, um, and you know, so it's, so that, and you can, you can tell by weight distributions of where a lot of people are overweight and, and cities are probably a little bit, are going to be more than suburbs and rural. Right. So, and it's because of lack of access to, to fruits and vegetables and, and food that's not processed and good nutritious food. Sure. So. Yeah, so I was always, uh, you know, I I guess I wasn't super happy back in the day, but um, looking back on it, you know, I'm super thankful. I grew up in like a super tiny town of like 2,000 people or something like that. Uh, You know, very rural area. I had to drive like 30 minutes up the highway to get to the nearest grocery store. But we had enough land where we could grow our own fresh garden in the backyard. So we grew like, uh, it was probably, I don't know, like 10 yards by 50 yards or so. And we just had like, you know, everything like tomatoes, different kinds of hot peppers, potatoes, uh, peas, corn, grew peanuts one year. Oh, nice. Yeah, like squashes, cantaloupes, watermelons, like, you know, just the whole gambit of stuff. Um, yeah, I always hated it when I was young because I'd have to wake up at like 8 a.m. on like a hot <laughs> summer morning and go like pick stuff out of the garden. And, you know, it's like, oh, my God, like, I'm just sweating, working my ass off like this sucks. <laughs> 
but looking back, I'm super thankful because you know we always had like the just the freshest food that you can get, literally just picked yeah. right off the plant and eating it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that has a lot to do with uh, my current health status. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also going back to like the lack of nutritional info and nutritional access. I mean, even when I was you know in school a couple of years ago, you know I'm only 22 now. They were still teaching the food pyramid, which is I think been proven to uh, there's been like, yeah, shown and proven to be like just incredibly ineffective and like a, yeah, it's like been, a totally skewed. It's uh, been modified a little bit. Hey, yeah. I, pause it just a second. I, my nephews are over here and I'm going to, they're playing the piano. I'm going to tell them to shut up. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I'll be right back. All right. Okay. I'm back. Okay. Yeah. I could hear it get louder just before you told uh, them to stop. Sorry about that. My wife told them to stop and they didn't stop. So I had to unleash the cracking. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So okay, uh, yeah, let's get back to it then. All right. Back from the uh, short pause there, which will seem like no pause at all for the listeners, but, um, well, okay. So yeah, we were talking about the food pyramid. You said it's been modified a little bit. I'd what, what's it been well, updated to? The, yeah. The food pyramid was kind of a governmental thing. And if you remember it and I remember it cause I, I was taught it in, the, in my school, you know, have, the base layer was the car. Yeah, carbs, it's like bread, six to twelve bread. servings of carbs yeah. a day. And then then you know, like and fruits and vegetables, yeah. Then proteins and then fats. Right, and, and then, then like you, sweets and refined sugars up at the very top, which yeah. is like you know you're not supposed to really eat those, but we're all gonna eat those. Come on, that's what everybody's eating anyway, oh, yeah. right? So now it's kind of the government is. I mean, how can you not eat those? Have you had a tub of Hagen dazs <laughs> I eat one of those in one sitting, man. Come on. Yeah, seriously, and there's like six servings. Oh yeah, it's, it's like it's like twelve hundred calories in that one little pint. I'll just down the whole thing, just shameless. Oh, I start to feel a little bit bad if I eat like more than one in a week, but you know I haven't had one in quite a long time, so. It sounds like so you're if due. I have one, huh? It sounds like you do for one. Yeah. They the now they have so the government has done it's called my plates, and uh, you you basically have a plate that has you can divide it up into quadrants. And one quadrant is some meat, so like a chicken breast. Another quadrant is going to be a carb. And then the other two are going to be fruits and vegetables. Right. So they've swapped the kind of, if you think about the base layer as carbs, they've kind of swapped that with the fruits and vegetables one. Right. And I think that's better for sure than, than having, you know, all of those carbs and grain serving. Well, and also, you know, it's also like not all carbs are created equal, right? Like there's, I, I think... I think I'm right in saying this. Like, there's a difference even between like white rice and brown rice, where brown rice is like yeah. has a lower glycemic index, which means yep. that uh, when you're digesting it, it doesn't spike your insulin up super high and then drop it back off, so you feel hungry again. You know, like immediately afterwards, it kind of has like a it's more like a rolling hill as opposed to like a super spiked up mountain. Whereas yeah. like you know, if you eat something like uh, like a spoonful of sugar, like you were saying, which is like straight carbs with a very high glycemic index. It, you get that mountain spike and it drops right back off and you're, you know, 20 minutes later, you're like, oh my God, like I need some more sugar. Like, yeah. you know, maybe not yeah. straight sugar specifically, but <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the principle right. of it applies. And most of the nutritionists that I associate with are going to recommend only eating, the, you know, the brown stuff. Right. And as far as carbs taking, go? As far as carbs go, you know, they wouldn't even, they would say to avoid white bread and avoid white rice altogether. Most and and to have as your as your carb to have it be a high fiber component, right? So they're they're you know they're big proponents of, of 
of that higher fiber content and not, you know, the lower glycemic index type of carbohydrate. Potatoes, um, even though they aren't like the, aren't, you know, like high fiber, they can have a, they're not quite as, as high as white rice is. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will, will use potatoes as a carb and I think that's fine. Well, and aren't sweet potatoes kind of like the brown rice of potatoes as well? Kind of, and 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 they have a lot more vitamins in the, in the right. beta carotene and other vitamins. And I mean, the white, the, a russet potato is just is not, not. It's kind of like white bread of potatoes. It's it like, is. yeah, it's, it's going to fill you up. It's going to taste good, but it's not yeah. going to do a whole lot for your body other than calories. Exactly. The the nutritionists that I respect the most are typically basing their diets based on the nutrient density of what they're having. They want to pack as much nutrients into something as possible. So, so it's not so much the glycemic index is how much nutrition can I get out of this? And you can look up, you know, they have like the top 10 most nutrient dense foods, you know, there's lists everywhere. And uh, a lot of them are vegetables and, and, and some, not as much fruit, but a lot of vegetables and, you know, sardines are listed on that. They're really? disgusting, but it's just because they have, you know, eating bones and, Everything. Oh yeah, I guess you're in the whole fish it. view of sardine, yeah. So, so sardines are one of those things that are high nutrient, have a high nutrient density. What so, uh, what kind of nutrients do sardines have? Oh, uh, they have healthy fats and right. And yeah, your omega threes and sixes, oils. Yeah. They have vitamin, the B vitamins you like. They have so, and they have protein, and they have they don't have a lot of carb either. Right. So, yeah, it's a fish. It's just if you can stomach a can of sardines as a snack, man, that's good for you. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a sardine. You, you, you can make a sauce out of them, like like uh, a Caesar salad is made out of anchovies, the dressing. Right, right, right. But, but aren't yeah. uh, aren't beets super nutrient rich as well? Yep, those have a higher carb content. Right, because they're a root. A lot, right. of, a lot of root vegetables are going to be a little bit higher carb, but. Not that much. I mean, carrots are the same, beets, onions. But uh, as far as eating to for, for athletic performance, it's you want to get enough calories for sure. In your case, I don't know what you're doing exactly for your exercise, but I don't think it's endurance, right? You're, you're uh, no, yeah, it's I'm pretty much just doing like uh, five by five, like basic, like you know, deadlifts, bench, uh, squats, rows, stuff like that. Yeah, and you've been injury free so far. So far, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. When I was younger, when I was like 16 years old or so, I um, I used to work out with a buddy of mine who was like super into powerlifting. He was like, I, I, couldn't have been taller than like five nine probably weighed i think he weighed 170 pounds but like i mean this guy couldn't even max out on his deadlifts because he would literally like just bend the barbell um he was like ridiculously strong yeah so he just taught me a lot about like good form and um you know like eating and so forth um i'd read a lot read up a lot about it online as well so i actually just would i would wake up i would drink like a half a gallon of milk throughout the course of a day up to a gallon i would eat six eggs in the morning and then i would just like you know i would use the my fitness pal app to track my calories and try to eat like 3,000 or 3,200 calories a day uh and i wound up gaining i think 20 15 20 pounds over the course of yeah a couple months uh and then i went to like yeah i I just 
I took a break from working out and I moved, so I just wasn't working out that much and lost it all again. But yeah, it just took sucked, man. I don't ever want to eat like that again. <laughs> yeah, it's like it becomes part of your exercise just to down that many calories. Yeah, I just like I just remember I would like go to sleep and like my stomach would just hurt from being so full. I was like, man, I don't know how somebody that's like, I don't know how somebody that's fat can do it. Like, I just, I already eat so much. Like, what is this nonsense? Well, you were eating some, it sounds like some highly nutritious stuff. I mean. Yeah, I was also trying to keep it pretty healthy, which is yeah. definitely more satiating than like, you know, eating two pints of Haagen-Dazs in a single sitter. Certainly, yeah, because you can eat two pints of Haagen-Dazs. Oh, yes, I fun. can. And that's what the people who are, who are bigger, that's what they're doing. They're eating that stuff, so. And you can just eat it and never stop. Your brain just tells you, doesn't tell you to stop, whereas, right. the, whereas the other stuff it does. So, yeah. But now that I'm like kind of kind of trying to like cheat a little bit, I'll just like you know I'll eat a whole bag of like salt and vinegar chips, like a big old family size share <laughs> bag, and I'm like ah, I don't feel guilty about this at all. I'm trying to gain some weight. Come on. I don't. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> you could say you don't recommend that. Well, you know, if you if you're doing it every day, it's going to be a problem. But, oh yeah. You know, it's uh. In my setting, if I sometimes I'll be out on a if I'm going for like a century, you know, hundred mile bike ride, a bag of potato chips really, it's but it's more of a salt for me. I'm just craving some electrolytes because I'm sweating and I've been out, so I always crave salty stuff when I'm doing something like that. And I and I there's no way I'm going to feel guilty for having a bag of potato chips when I'm riding hundred miles on a bike. For sure. So, if you're no, I don't recommend you know exercising just so you can eat junk. I don't think that's because right. I think you can out eat exercise if you're going to do that. Like if you just right. ate potato chips and ice cream, you and can then, easily turn yourself. Even if you exercise all the time. Well, then I'm sure you could it. also. So again, sorry to interrupt. I have a terrible habit of that, but um, uh, I'm sure then you could also definitely run into issues of like you know you're not going to get nutrients and like you really start to kind of like mess with your joints and just your overall recovery and performance yeah. because you know if you're not eating that balanced diet and like making sure your body is functioning the way that it should, you know, you can really start to kind of mess yourself up, um, either long term or long term, or like, you know, you're just kind of like, like drying out your joints to get a little bit creaky, not working the way they should. And like, you know, just kind of over time, you kind of start to wear stuff down or uh, even in the shorter term, but, you know, I, I guess the same principle, but like, you know, something just kind of like cracks or snaps or whatever, the, because you're not lubing up your, your body the way it should yeah. be. Working. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, um, if you don't mind, kind of tricks to stay out of my office so you don't get hurt right so some of the common things that i see are when it comes to the conditioning and weightlifting it's typically people are ramping up too quickly <laughs> and they're trying you know they're, they're training with somebody who's stronger than them for example i see this in crossfit a lot because crossfit's a big group setting right and it's yeah so i've read it a lot of peer pressure going on and people will try to push themselves a little bit too hard Right. And, the, and that's the number one reason for both endurance sports and for weightlifting is people ramping up too quickly. They're trying yeah. to do more than they can handle. So that's yeah, kind of my number one got a massive group prevention rules to mm -hmm. don't ramp it up too much, especially at the beginning. Especially when you got a massive competitive environment like that. Yeah, where you have like, you know, 20, 30 people working out in a group and, you know, they're there working out. So I'm sure they have that drive to kind of just be like, like I want to, yeah. you know, well, just kind of like be the best. So. Yeah, I definitely got uh, humbled out when I was working out with that friend I was telling you about when, like, you know, I was, was deadlifting in the gym and he just came over and, like, picked it up and just started, like, overhead pressing it like it was just, like, a piece <laughs> of paper. And I was like, man, like, that's, come on, that's not right. 
<laughs> He's like, it's okay, man. It's good for your soul. And I was like, yeah, I guess. But yeah, that's the, like the number one thing that I tell. Like, I'll work out with my friend and my brother from time to time. And I can lift a little bit more than they can. And like, you know, I'll just kind of see them like try to push themselves. And like, you know, like we'll be benched. They'll be like, shit, their arms are shaking a little bit. I'm like, look, like, if it's yeah. too much, like lower the weight. Like you do yeah. not want to hurt yourself. Like yeah, that's, that's the last thing you want to do. And I, and I think that, I think that reason for injuries is more common than bad form. In bad form is probably number two. Or for a good rule of thumb, if you're going to do an endurance sport to kind of keep yourself injury free is to increase your mileage or your time out by only 10% per week. So if you are starting out on a, on a running program, I, I will recommend people just run one mile every other day. Right. So they're only going to run three or four miles that first week. And if you increase it 10% per week at that rate, you're only going to be running three and a half, you know, 4.4 miles. If you run four miles a week, the next week is only like, it's not even five miles. And that's not, that's not normal for people to think about that. They think, okay, I'm going to run, you know, five miles the first week, then I'm going to run eight miles the next week, then I'm going to get to 10 miles the next week, and then 15. So they're up to 20 miles a week in, in, in three or four weeks, and that, and then they get a stress fracture or something. Right. Wow. So that is, for endurance sports, that, that rule of thumb, 10% per week, mm-hmm. I, if you follow that, you'll never have a stress fracture. Your, your joints will be okay. You're going to be fine. Right. Because that impact and that, that stress that you're giving to yourself over time, because endurance sports is a time-based exercise and not so much an anaerobic lifting something. Those, but the stresses still add up. So, so if you're not that you're doing endurance sports, but you probably have some listeners who might want to do a 5K or half marathon or something. Just if you follow that rule, you won't get hurt. I've never had someone get hurt who follows that rule. It's always ramping up too quickly that causes it. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, one thing I was just about to ask is. Um, do endurance people like starting out at endurance training? Do they experience the same, uh, the same phenomenon of like noob gains that somebody lifting weights does? Where like you know, for the first couple months of lifting, if you've never lifted before, or like you know, if you took a long break and you're starting again, you'll just be able to like, you know, pack on a ton of like you know, start lifting a lot more weight. You know, not a lot more weight, but you'll be able to progress very quickly as opposed to somebody who's been doing it for you know like a year or two. Whereas their gains come, you know, with a lot more effort and a lot slower. But yeah, that's a good question. It's it's a little bit slower. The first, you know, the, if you haven't done any endurance exercise and you started out, you're sore the first few weeks and you're hating it usually, and it takes you a good month to kind of get into a rhythm, and and uh, so you don't really get that that kind of, it, it, and it's harder for a lot of people to stick with it because you don't get that instant feedback like like you do with lifting where you kind of get those. It's, you get, it's not that it's instant, right? It's not really instant, but you, you feel some, you feel the same thing as you do with lifting where you have the soreness and your muscles are sore, especially at the beginning. But you can get to a state in weightlifting where you don't get that as much, and you can do that the same with endurance. So right. there's a little bit of a difference, but I, w- I would say for the most part, it's just a little bit slower for endurance athletes. Now, the interesting thing about an endurance athlete versus a, a different sport, um, mainly football or, or something like that, where you're kind of where, you know, doing a lot of conditioning and lifting is it an endurance athlete can stay at a high level much later on in their life. And when they, when they retire, so to speak, they, their, their rate of decline is not as, as shallow. It's not as steep. So an endurance athlete, you'll see some 40 year olds in the tour de France. Right. 
and you won't see very many 40-year-old football players. And it's because of the nature of the sport is so different. Another thing about that is when you stop either one of those, or you know, really not, not when you stop, but when you just keep doing it, your rate of decline in as far as when it comes to age doesn't really, it's so shallow that you can have, I'm not sure if I'm saying this correctly. So you, suppose you start out with a, as a cyclist. You start out when you're 19, and you peak around 35 to 40. By the time it takes you to get to be the level you were when you were 19, you're in your 60s because that's so shallow. Whereas in other sports, you peak in your 20s, maybe late 20s, maybe early 30s. You know, these basketball, football, it's, it's an outlier that's going to be going and playing into their, into their late 30s because it's right. getting very little harder. But your fitness level will drop off a little bit quicker. Yeah, that's why you see so many like powerlifters and bodybuilders. They used to be like super huge and jacked, and now they're just like kind of old and fat. Yeah, and they still, it's interesting. A lot of the muscles they build, they keep on, they keep it there. Right. It, it just isn't this tone, and their functional strength is, is gone, is less. Even though sometimes they may have a lot of muscle that looks like, look like they have a lot of muscle, because you can keep that muscle mass for a long time. Now, what do you mean by their muscle mass is still there, but their functional strength is gone? So, they may look big, but when they lift, if they haven't been lifting, doesn't they're not as strong as they were as, as they were. Gotcha. That makes some sense. Yeah. But they can get it back. They can ramp up pretty quickly because their bodies, you know, they've been doing it for years. And yes. there's, a, there's some memory there, so they can get back in quicker than somebody who's never lifted. You know, they just someone just starts out in their fifties and. It's, it's going to be harder for them versus lifting. Now, there's an, something else that I think would be interesting to talk about is the, the benefit of lifting for an endurance athlete and versus the benefit of, an, of a lifter to do some endurance sport. Too. So there's things that are a little bit different. If you're an endurance athlete, you can make some benefits by lifting consistently once a week or something like that or even every other week. Mm-hmm. where you just mix it up and you do some lifting. And, and that can really benefit your endurance. And it actually can make your endurance sport a little bit, make it better. Right. It's good for the endurance. If you're a lifter, if you go and spend time doing some endurance sport, you're not going to really, it's not going to help you become a better lifter. Right. But so, so, so I would, so, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about endurance sports, but, Lifting is going to help, but, but if, if you wanted to gain weight, you wanted to get stronger, you just got to lift. Now, the cardio that a lifter could do would be something that I'd recommend would be more like a high-intensity interval training. And you can, if you're an endurance athlete and you want to do that training, you're doing 400-meter dashes. If you're a lifter and you want to do that, you're doing 20-yard dashes. You're not going <laughs> to run. You know, it, it's the same. You're just going to go all out as fast as you can. Yeah, and, and that's funny. I'm just thinking about like the length of a football field, and yeah, like running four football fields at max. I don't even know if I could do that for 400 <laughs> yards, honestly, max capacity. Like, I don't, I don't. It's terrible. And I don't train cardio at all. <laughs> but but you could you you could benefit from some you know do some 40 yard dashes. Do like six of them. Right. Do one of them recover. Do another one. And if you go all out after seven or eight, your your workout's kind of it's going to be hard to do much more because you'll be you'll be burned out. Oh yeah. So, so, so would, you, would you recommend that like uh, as kind of like uh, during your off day kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So if you do legs one day, 
and you do upper body another day, and then you have a day off. You could, because if you're going to run intervals, you're typically using your legs. Right. I don't think I would do my intervals a day after my leg day, mm. or even even if two or three days. When I do my leg days, it's my legs are sore for a while. Um, because it, it'll benefit you to have some fresh legs for that. But another endurance thing that I don't really call it endurance is, though, but some lifters will call it endurance. It's just going for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would say if you live in a place where you have access to some mountains or something cool to go see, go on a go on a um, a hike where it's you know three to five miles, and you're going to be you that's a longer endurance. It, but oh, yeah. the intensity interval training is so those are just so good for you. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember the couple times I went on like you know some like long like 10, 12 mile hikes up some mountains and stuff with some friends. I live out here in Virginia, so there's like tons of trails everywhere. Uh, yeah, I'd wake up the next morning and like be sore at places I didn't even know you could be sore. I'd yeah. be like, well, I didn't even know you had muscles there. Like, what is going on? <laughs> and I remember the first day that I trained. Uh, <laughs> the first time I had like ever. Well, the first time I ever was in a gym, I like kind of walked in. I was in RTC, and uh, some guy was in there benching. He was like, "Hey, man, like you ever lifted before?" And I was like, "Nope, not once." And he was like, "You know, benching 135, like a full plate." And he's, I was I think I was, I think I was a freshman at the time, and I was like a little bit shorter, but like built the same as I am now. It's so, like super skinny. Like should not have been at all attempting to bench that much. <laughs> uh, but he was like, "Yeah, man, like go ahead, like give it a try." And I was like, "All right." So he kind of like you know told me a little bit about like the form and stuff so like I, I just remember like picking up the bar getting it over my chest and as soon as I tried to like you know like you know bring it down like it, it just immediately dropped like the full weight just dropped like, right on my chest and I just was like Ugh! like so out of breath like you couldn't even make noise oh man uh it sounded like a squeaky toy that had like the squeaker ripped out or something like that just kind of like <laughs> like a oh it was terrible you know like the sergeant came over like picked it up off he was like the super super jack dude he would like on the leg press machine he would like just have it stacked up with plates and then have like you know cadets sit up on top of it and he would still just be like moving it like it was a paperweight it was yeah. madness but he was like yeah man like don't ever try to do that again and i was like oh don't worry like he's I'm probably, not he, going just, to. he could have probably stopped dude he's probably watching the whole thing probably like, oh, this is gonna be good probably that's probably exactly <laughs> what was happening but um what I was going to say, though, is that later on, when I actually started working out properly with uh, my buddy Finney, who I was telling you about, mm -hmm. I don't know if I gave his name before, uh, I just remember, like, after the first workout, like, the second or third day, I was so sore that, like, it, it literally hurt my entire body to just, like, walk up some stairs. Like, I felt like the biggest bitch ever. Like, I was just, like, trying to sit <laughs> down. I had to, like, just slowly lower my entire body. And uh, it was it was madness. It was like I had no idea your body could get this yeah. sore. I've been there. I don't like feeling that sore, but you know, if you're like me, you have to. A little bit of soreness kind of feels good. You know what I mean? A little bit of soreness definitely feels good. It's, it's like, like you know, you know that you yeah, got something done yeah. and you worked it out. But yeah, when you're that sore, I was like, this is just miserable. Like I'm just like I'm pitiful right now. Like there's nothing I could do. If like something you, heavy were to fall on me right now, you, like you that. probably got some rhabdomyolysis on that day. What is that? It's when you exercise so much that you're and you have so much protein breaking down that uh, your urine turns dark and and uh, it can actually affect your kidneys and you'll be rather serious. There was a recent uh, case of it with the so women's soccer team. I'm trying to think of the college it was at. Uh, I can't remember which college it was, but they were they were. He, the coach worked these girls so hard that uh, that 
10 of them had rhabdomyolysis and they were peeing, basically peeing blood and two or three of them had to be in the hospital and you had to get, you know, IVs and your kidneys flushed and, and uh, yeah. you measure this, this uh, mus- muscle protein called CKMB and it was, the, the numbers were just off the charts. Just like, yeah, just through the roof. And you'll hear, we hear about this, it happens, uh, it's never happened again since. I think I, I don't know if that was just like my first time like ever working out seriously and that's why it happened or what. But you know, every other time like I took like I don't know, a couple months, like a year, maybe two years off and then I went back in the gym. And, like I woke up the next day and like I was sore. Maybe I didn't push myself as hard, I'm not quite sure. But uh, it was like that good feeling kinda of sore. It's like, Oh man, like this sucks, but like, you know, I know that I did some good work. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't too bad, but it wasn't like where I had to literally like just brace myself with my arms to sit down on a chair or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds. <laughs> it was. It sounds bad. It was. It was. It was something. It was definitely an experience. Everybody will. I think everybody does that so long, especially the first time you start. You're just like, I'm loving this. I'm gonna feel get jacked, and then you're. you're and stuck. then you wake up the next morning. You're like, oh god, like this is <laughs> this is a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> I gotta yeah. slow it down. The, a lot of the time that this that like happens in the college setting is is uh you know, the coach is almost using their exercise as a punishment. They don't play as well. Yeah. Perform it up to their normal standard of play, and the coach gets kind of grumpy about that. And so the, their next day's workout is add-on more and right. begin getting this. So, you know, in, in our community, the sports medicine community, we're try- obviously trying not to – trying to make people more aware of this and trying to prevent that stuff from happening. But there was – you know, there's – there was a case just recently where it happened for a women's soccer team. I'll, I, I'll have to. I'm curious. I can't remember which team it was. I'll have to look it up. But. Gotcha. Well, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I reckon that would be a pretty good place to wrap it up. We're at like an hour and 30 seconds exactly. So that was a good, solid hour. Um, again, I really appreciate you coming on here and just kind of speaking with me, man. You know, helping me out with my, my podcast here. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, is there any anything, any social media or anything like that you want to shout out? Like, I know you got your Twitter page. I don't know if there's like, you know, I don't know if you have a website. You want to shout out your practice, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I don't have a website. My, you have my Twitter. Um, but, uh, well, if you're in the Salt Lake area and you, and you get hurt, come see me. <laughs> but, there you uh, go for my Utah listeners out there. But hopefully I don't have to see you, right? I mean, hopefully you get some ideas to keep yourself out of my office and yeah hopefully and, hopefully uh, you listen to this podcast and be like oh maybe we need to look up a little bit more about what i should do to not you know yeah not get injured the, yeah so, uh, sports medicine i know a lot of sports doc sports med docs in the country so if you are hurt and you want some help you can send me a dm and tell me where you live and i and i more than like more likely than not i'll probably know somebody good you could go see so boom so, there you go that'd be fine with me if you did that for sure, yeah. So I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely include your Twitter profile in the uh, description of the podcast. Um, for those listening, if you just want to search it up now, I don't want to have to read through it. I, it's what at Doctor Jake Vigel, right? It's uh, Jake Vigel, MD. I think now. Jake Vigel, MD. Okay, and that's J A K E V E I G E L, MD. Yes. All right. Well, then, uh, like I said, I guess that's that. Thanks so much, Thank man, you. and goodbye to my listeners as well. Glad to do another episode. Boom. Okay.